Welcome to Tim Stodds FM, where each week we discuss new ideas and tactics to help you succeed in business, relationships, and life. And now your host, Tim Stoddard. Hey, what's up, everyone? My name is Tim Stoddard. Welcome to the Tim Stodds Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. My guest this week is Brandon Jung. Brandon is a new up-and-coming star on Twitter. Uh, and also, he's got a YouTube channel, and he's got a, a blog and a newsletter that he works on. But Brandon is only 19 years old. He's still in college. He studies at Columbia University. And at the beginning of the quarantine, he just took it upon himself to dive into the internet culture, to dive into mindfulness and and mental models and productivity. And the content that he's been creating over the last couple of months has been very inspiring to me, very inspiring to a lot of other people. Um, and it's it's really paying off for him. His his podcast is is exploding. He's already getting some really high profile guests. His Twitter account is exploding. And in this podcast, we talk about the strategies that he is using to grow his following, the strategies that he is using to get his ideas out there to the world. He's a real cool character. I really enjoyed this conversation. He's very insightful. He's got, he just has a, a, a well of knowledge inside of his brain and he has an ability to really be able to pick out uh, what the right source of information is for whatever the particular context of the conversation is. And so he's going places, man. Keep your eye on this kid. Without further ado, please help me welcome Brandon Jung. Brandon, thank you so much for joining me on my podcast. I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, so, man, where do we start with you? Uh, you are very young and up and coming in terms of the brand that you're building for yourself. One of the things about your work that I have found very interesting is that, uh, and I, I want you to talk about this and to comment on it, but there's nothing really for you to sell. There's no product aligned with your work. You truly, genuinely, at least in my interpretation, seem like you are just using the internet and using your writing to try to like be better, try to be a better person, try to be more productive, try to find ways to like add value and, and be more mindful in your own life. So I'd like to just open it up with with your website, with your Twitter, uh, tell people what you're trying to accomplish with all of your work. Yeah, so hey everyone, I'm Brandon. I'm currently 19 and I'm about to be an incoming freshman at Columbia. And kind of this all this stuff about producing online started because uh, basically coronavirus, right? Like I graduated high school and normally I was planning on traveling with my friends, visit um, Asia or Europe. Uh, we were actually still deciding between the two before all this happened and basically I kind of viewed the summer as an opportunity to explore different things and so what I write about currently is focused on mindful productivity and mental models and things like that and basically that idea is something that stemmed from school right where a lot of people at school are just focused on getting your work done as fast as possible getting the best scores like like hustling at all costs and I feel like that that, that to a sense is, is a good thing, right? You should work hard. You should, should pursue what you want. But a lot of times I see a lot of people around me get burnt out and they um, aren't really mindful with how they uh, segment their time. They don't have good school life balance in a sense. And I just want to uh, promote some things personally to talk about that. But I think what 
uh, Twitter and the podcast has also led to is just finding out what I want to do myself, right? Because at this age, a lot of times the things you're asked are like, what do you want to major in? Or what do you want to do in the future? And instead of trying to uh, solely rely on school and kind of what I'm learning to define that, I'm just trying to talk to as many different cool people on the internet um, as possible to see like, oh, maybe I want to do that, right? Like on the podcast, I talked with Pomp the other day and he's a newsletter writer. He's like a very business-centric content creator. And I thought that was interesting. Today, I talked with Steve Schlafman. He's a VC and more kind of an institutional uh, investor. And so seeing what that life like that is like. And basically, yeah, like you said, not really trying to monetize everything because luckily, uh, like you said, I'm still rather young and I, I don't need to create uh, to uh, kind of sustain myself. I'm, I'm lucky in that sense. So I'm trying to take advantage of that as much as possible to just explore different areas. Have you always been a writer? It seems like that's the medium that you're most comfortable in. Has like the written word always been, well, yeah, like I said, something that is, is, is comfortable to you? Do you feel good in that, in that medium? I'd say I'm, I'm pretty good at writing in a sense that I like, English was not my favorite subject in school. I'll start off with that. And that I think writing on the internet is really different. And yeah. it's more almost like analytical and, and how you think. And I think that, that that's reflective. I really like history. I like reading about history. I like psychology as well. Um, so I'm not huge on science, but because of that interest in psychology, like you're drawing in a lot of uh, scientific topics in a sense. Um, but I think because of that balance, I'm more suited to write on the internet. I feel like on the internet, kind of what you're trying to get across is is to give people things that they can take action on. I feel like that's the most effective writing. Um, you definitely want to weave in your personal stories and personal interests and what you've read on history. And a lot of that is through kind of like historical examples, which is uh, where I feel most comfortable. So I'd say, yeah, definitely that medium so far has been kind of what I've been trying to create through. Okay. Well, talk to me a little bit about that because I agree. Writing on the internet is different than writing a novel. And I've really only written on the internet, but I, I have a lot of experience with it. So I'm, I'm comfortable, like you, you said, in formatting content properly in a way that just appeals to the eye. You have to assume that people are scanning content a lot. But when, when I, I, I read, especially on Twitter, but I, I read a, a couple issues of your newsletter and you used historical examples a lot. So when I spoke to Jack and we're going to talk about Jack a little bit, but you remind me of him in a certain way, whereas he was telling me about pattern interrupts where all the things that he creates, he makes it so that if you're just scrolling through a feed, the same endless feed, when you see it, it makes you stop. It makes you stand out. And especially on Twitter, uh, you you do that and like i want to commend you for that but i want to know if that was intentional right like have you built that idea of pattern interrupting into your content and how have you used like those historical examples to relate to your personal experience yeah i think it, it's not intentional at all especially on twitter i think it was more of kind of just trying to see what other people do really well and obviously I looked at Jack as an example and, and I, one of the things I look up to most about Jack is his ability to kind of distill things. Um, 
and really get to them at a core level and make them really easy to understand to people and really clear to people. And I, I almost kind of want to reflect that, but instead of relying too much on, on visual things where that's his special specialty, um, using more of the words and like most people on Twitter. And I think I actually want to get better at using historical examples in the newsletter. I think that uh, I want to transition more towards right now. It's kind of like 50, 50 where um, maybe not, not even, I'd say it's around 40% original content stuff I'm writing and 60% curated ideas, which is a, which is a good balance and, and a fine balance, but I'm, I'm starting, I think I see an opportunity where I'm going to be starting school soon. And one of the areas uh, that makes Columbia special is that we have the core curriculum and there's like, they go through a lot of these cool uh, philosophy books, right? Iliad, things like that. And and one of the ideas I had was just drawing, uh, adding a section to the newsletter where you take an example from uh, one of the things we're reading or learning this week and trying to make it more applicable. Because one of the things I think is that it's a lot of people uh, don't really uh, kind of like use history as much or, or kind of view it as an actionable skill because it's hard to translate some of the lessons. So I think extracting some of those ideas and, and those stories will be really unique in a sense where not a lot of people are doing that right now. No, I agree. But I mean, go a little bit further with that because I, I'm a huge history nerd. When you said history, I got excited about that. I'm, I'm like, my wife always makes fun of me for reading like World War One battle history books as I go to bed. I just can't get enough of it. I find it so fascinating. And there's so many times, and forgive me, I'm elaborating here a little bit, but I think we're talking about the same thing. There's so many times where I see things play out and I think to myself, that's happened again over and over and over again in like the same exact sequence. So is what you're doing trying to take these these elements of history or these elements of like other people's past experiences that we know can be applied to my life? Like maybe not in the same exact scenario, but there's a direct context there where if I take that and I put it into simple English, I could probably learn something from it. And more importantly, like you said, like apply it. Yeah, a hundred percent. And I think that elements of that are happening, right? Like there's a lot of people that follow stoicism or, or Buddhism in that sense, and they're taking lessons from those fears. Um, but I think that there's other ways to explore that. And I think it'd be similar to a format almost that James Clear uses a lot where he's using a story to kind of make his point about why this uh, idea or uh, characteristic of habit formation is so important. Like he references a lot of the Stoics, like I said, but he also references more recent historical examples, right? He talks his first chapter, right? It's about that British cycling team and taking it just like an example no one else would have thought would to be significant and applying it to his sphere and his, his craft. And I think that a lot of people get it wrong when, when, when you say you're interested in history, right? Like obviously a big proportion of that is kind of the wars and, and the, his, the kind of development of these civilizations. But also a lot of it is just individual experiences. Like you said, like it's really interesting to hear about how these people lived. And there's a lot of lessons that 
can be replicated and, and are not talked about enough. What an interesting people that want to develop an online brand, at least in my experience, it's important to have something unique about you. Right. And it doesn't have to be like the most groundbreaking earth shattering unique idea. It's just something that you can kind of hang your hat on. You know, me personally, uh, the first brand I ever built was built around recovery. I got really involved with like addiction recovery. Um, And that gave me like something specific to get my name out there, which then sort of gets you through the door where you can talk about bigger entrepreneurial things or, or whatever. Right. You know, you mentioned pop. He's a good example. Um, I remember a couple of years ago, he was strictly crypto stuff and not even crypto, but strictly Bitcoin stuff. And now, um, yeah, he's, he's just expanded. It's, he's, he's got a much broader general audience. And so I think what you're doing is really smart where, you know, you're still at the beginning stages of it, but you've come such a long way, but I, I really think that you're doing it right where you find some <clears throat> particular angle and particular avenue to focus on and then as you build your brand and you build your reputation you can really talk about whatever you want to talk about yeah i think it's for me right now kind of the blog is more of kind of the niche down place where i talk a lot lot about uh kind of this idea of mental models and, and mindful productivity and that will kind of translate to the newsletter as well i'm trying to shift the newsletter in that direction but I think, right, the, uh, like you mentioned, the podcast is kind of like the open platform on the side where, where I'm keeping. So. And, yeah. And allowing me to just explore different things. And if, if something changes and, and that becomes my interest, like I'll just start writing towards that and the parts of the audience that, that want to stay, which I think uh, talking to Pomp and learning from him is a pretty large portion like obviously you'll get some unsubscribed saying like oh you're you're leaving this topic i don't want to hear from you anymore but because if you're doing it for long enough they kind of like get to know you and and like the way you write like the way you think about things um doesn't matter like what you're talking about um if it's like kind of related or if you're kind of talking about it in the same way well they'll probably stay yeah okay let me get a little bit more specific for somebody that's just turning into this, what the hell is a mental model? What the hell does it mean to have mindful productivity? If, if somebody wants to learn from you, what's the first thing that you would tell them? Yeah, I think a mental model is basically these ways, uh, these formats um, for how to look at things. If you think of your brain as kind of like an operating system, uh, like a computer, like a Mac, for example, uh, the Mac operating system, mental models are basically the different apps that you put in. And the great thing about mental models, I think a lot of people have been really interested in them after Charlie Munger has been pushing them, uh, Warren Buffett's partner. But Mm -hmm. I think the great thing is that they're drawn from every different uh, kind of like section that you can study from. Like there's mental models from economics, right? Opportunity cost, scarcity mindset, um, but uh, game theory. But there's also uh, mental models that you can draw from like other parts of sciences, like life sciences, thermodynamics, the second law. And, and basically you're looking at those things and thinking how can they apply to me in different areas of my life, right? How can you take game theory and then 
apply that to a business or apply that to kind of social settings or like uh, your friends. And I think now a lot of people are coming up with their own mental models and bringing a lot of mental models into the forefront of discussion. I think when you look at uh, what Elon Musk is doing with first principles, right? Everyone's talking about first principles thinking now. It's just a way for for people to uh, change their understanding of the world or, or change is the wrong word. I'd say reframe, reframe their understanding of the world. I love how you put, w- w- when you talked about entropy or the second law of thermodynamics, that really hit a chord with me because all of a sudden I understood that you can take this concept this grand idea and model it to anything right so i talk to my employees all the time i'm like guys remember if you just leave it be the natural state of things is going to be chaos so like it's the same way that cobwebs build up in the corner you know it's the same way that over time the billiard balls in a pool table you can put them in the triangle but if you just leave them to themselves they're gonna somehow get scattered all over right like the natural state of things is to be chaotic and so I use this mental model, this idea of entropy in talking with my employees with just the importance of like constantly pruning all of those little things that slip by. Um, I think that's a good example. I'm looking for your like verification on that. Yeah, hundred percent. It's, it's basically kind of like a, re- a recipe for regular decision-making. Nice. And I've heard this from George McKenzie, who, who's pretty big on Twitter too, but that definition really sticks and applies to what you're talking about, right? Because it's something that once you say it to someone and, and like you said, once you're talking to your employees, it, it makes a lot more sense with them, mm-hmm. to them, right? When you're giving them this example and, and they kind of understand it and they see it in nature and then they can kind of see how it applies to them. And so, yeah, it's just ways to make your thinking easier and break down these really complex topics by kind of viewing them in the frame of other things that kind of you're already familiar with. Yeah, makes perfect sense. Okay, so we're talking a little bit about what your, your message is, the core of your message, at least right now. One of the things that I'm curious about is, as someone who's 19, um, I'm 34. So I've seen social media at the very beginning and I've seen like where it's evolved to and forgive me for painting you into a corner, but one person, the typical person would think like, Oh, he's a Gen Z. He's going to be on TikTok, He's going to be on Instagram, you know, like Twitter. It sounds funny saying this, but Twitter's like an old school social media platform. So why on earth out of all of the different handles and all the different platforms that you could build a brand on like, Why did you choose Twitter? Yeah, I think for me, it's unique, right? I grew up not using Facebook, really. It was Snapchat and Instagram um, growing up. And I think that, right, Matthew Kobach on Twitter does a really good job of kind of painting the different types of people that are on these different types of platforms. And, right, like Twitter is where people that have a lot of cool ideas kind of gather. TikTok is where a lot of people who have ideas in a sense but in a different format where it's a lot more creative ideas i'd say go on tiktok and more visual ideas um instagram is for more aesthetic people i feel like people that have specialties in editing uh taking photos making longer form videos on instagram 
And what drew Twitter to me, like, obviously, when I first used Twitter, um, it was mainly to keep up with like sports news. I followed like Woj and things like that. Adam Schefter, Darren Ravel. Um, and it was just to keep up with sports. Uh, but slowly, I kind of discovered a lot of other people that were talking about really interesting things on Twitter, right? Um, like I said, George McKenzie, Naval Ravikant, David Perel, um, sharing their ideas on different theories, different um, writings, uh, kind of realized that there is a side of Twitter that is very responsive to cool ideas and putting yourself out there will get a response. And kind of that's how I got into it at first. I made a new account from my old one, which followed like maybe like 400 like sports accounts. <laughs> um, but then slowly grew an audience. I started around three months ago, probably around 5,000, 4,000 followers now. I think that's very insightful of you. And I agree. So well, one of the bands I built, one of the brands I built were you know, close to 500,000 followers and most of them are on Facebook and it's great. It's a great audience. But even with that being said, when people approach me about social media, the first thing I always tell them is like Twitter. Twitter is the best one by far. And the reason why I personally like it, and I want to hear your thoughts on this is because people are very receptive on Twitter. Like I have met some of the coolest people on Twitter and have continued to this day to have really great conversations. I mean, let's take you and I, um, you know, who knows, maybe we'll end up, we'll turn off this podcast and you won't ever talk to me again, but maybe we'll continue to be friends and we can share information with each other. You know, I got a friends who, who lives in Argentina, this guy named Gans. He has this really cool newsletter called seed table all about European tech. You know, I met Jack on Twitter. Uh, it's just a great place to meet people, to network. I mean, Pomp is another example, um, to meet people, to share ideas. And like, more importantly, I don't know what it is. It's almost like different social media platforms have different personalities. But when somebody messages me on Facebook, I just instantly assume it's spam. And the same, like, I don't even have an Instagram account because is it even possible to get like a real message on Instagram, right? But when I hear from people on Twitter, I just assume that it's somebody genuinely looking to share ideas with me. And I don't know how it got that way, but I'm really glad it is because Twitter is like all the other social media platforms has, have made my life like not worse, but just not better, you know, and Twitter's made my life better. Yeah, I would, I would agree. Um, I think that the biggest thing is finding the right people on Twitter. And then once you're in, you follow maybe even one or two people, seeing also who they like and who they follow, who they tag, it's really easy to kind of grow your network in the right direction. Whereas Instagram, uh, LinkedIn, Facebook, it's a lot more filled with bots. I feel like that's one thing that is, is really problematic in terms of who can reach out to you. I think Twitter, also some people might come across that issue, but it's they have a better filtering mechanism. Yeah. And also I feel like it's easier to uh, kind of reach out. Like you said, I feel like the barrier is, is less so there just because once you see, I think the biggest thing is once you see someone's timeline, right? You see what they're posting, you see their bio. It's a lot more open on Twitter than, than Instagram or LinkedIn where you have to be friends with someone or connected with someone to, to get all their information. 
you feel like you know who they are already by, by seeing their thoughts, their tweets. You kind of see what their personality is like, what they're interested in. And so I feel like that's what makes it so easy to make connections. You just, it's easier to tell someone's like a real person and not a bot on Twitter. Mm. Yeah, I agree. All right. You're a really interesting kid, Brandon. I want to talk a little bit more about you. And this isn't a direction that I typically go, but I just think for, I think you're a prime example for a, a young person who is looking to build a brand because the mistake that I think people make, especially young people, is they just get hooked on followers and they think that they need to be sensational, sensationalist and they need to create controversy and all that. But there's like a huge audience for people that are into real meaningful ideas and deep thought provoking content. And, um, and so, okay, with, with that in mind, to paint some of the context, like what are the kind of things that you're interested in? You're a freshman in college. What is it that you're studying? Like where, where are you trying to grow with your own mental capacity? Right. I think that's an interesting point that you brought up about kind of the balance between what you want to do with social media and how you want to grow it. I think, yeah, it's true that a lot of content creators got a bad rep because there is all the, they, they, there seems to be controversy following them around all the time. Um, personally, I try and minimize that on Twitter, right? I, I block it. I think one of the best things about Twitter is that you can curate your, your feed. Mm-hmm. You can block out a lot of terms. You can block out a lot of accounts. I try not to follow anything political on Twitter because I just find the comments to be very negative. And, and if you want to read something or keep updated, there's, there's a better uh, formatted sources out there. I mean, but on the point of what I'm interested in, I think what I'm interested in school is, is also pretty similar with um, kind of what I talk about, uh, like on my newsletter or on my site, love history, um, love psych, uh, love econ. Uh, I think the intersection of those three are, are really cool in terms of uh, maybe analyzing business models, but also understanding what uh, psychology goes behind that, but just definitely still in the, in the testing stages of, of what I want to do. Um, yeah, I'd say that. So is that your plan? Do you plan to build a business around your brand? Is that where you're going with it? I'm not sure yet. I think the goal is to just continue to produce content about whatever I'm interested in. I don't have to stick with a certain topic. And I think that obviously school gives like good, a a good kind of base in terms of like defining like some of the things I'm exposed to, some of the concepts they're teaching me. Um, But it's not going to be like the only thing surrounding kind of the brand. Yeah, it's definitely still still early stages yet. And I haven't actually had the experience of, of going to school and doing this on the side yet. So I'm, I feel like I, I tr- I'm trying to have an idea of what that's going to look like. But I mean, you're never really, you can never really predict what something's like without mm-hmm. actually experiencing it. So yeah, I mean, in ideally, do you plan to keep keep doing what you're doing in the same kind of volume that you're doing it? Is that your goal? Yeah, I think in in one of the essays I wrote about what I want to do is that I want to maintain kind of like a weekly publishing schedule, both for the newsletter and for the podcast, at least. I think those are doable even with 
uh, how busy school kind of make me. I, I'll probably have to tone down on how often I write an article, but I think I can explore that um, kind of urge to write in the newsletter still. Like I said, I want to do more original content there, but I still think uh, writing a newsletter is, is I've gotten into the rhythm. And I one, one thing I will talk about, I forgot to talk about earlier when you brought up the question about writing. I took Rite of Passage with, with David Perel and that was really uh, informative. And one of the things I learned from that is to write from abundance, to have a good note-taking system. And, and basically now my newsletter um, doesn't take me nearly as long as it did before. Um, I've It's also kind of uh, fruits of practice and just consistent iterate, iteration. I kind of know throughout the week, right? I'm, I'm drafting a little bit throughout the week. And so I think that'll set, set, set me up well for the future where it won't take up that much time. And the podcast, um, I've gotten to a point where my conversation is, is pretty natural with the speaker. So I don't really have to do any heavy editing, just um, go go through with one listen, um, add an intro, outro. I have um, kindly a video editor that that's working with me on YouTube to, to put out YouTube stuff. Um, just, just kind of made, did an agreement with him. And so that would like definitely lighten my workload a lot because I'm not a, the best video editor by any means or any stretch of the imagination. Um, but he's just someone who kind of liked the content I was putting out, uh, liked the podcast and, and hopped on board. So um, that's kind of the goal to at least sustain those two. Yeah, okay. I, I, I need to, I was going to transition to some of your visualized value work, but I'm dying to know, what do you mean by right from abundance? Like, what does that mean? Yeah, so the biggest thing we have, the biggest problem we face when we write, right, is when we look at the page and it's just empty and our brain is empty and we don't really know what we want to talk about. We have a general topic and maybe we have a couple ideas or sources about where we want to go. But in general, it feels like we're forcing stuff onto the paper, right? Um but after taking Rite of Passage, the, the important thing is that writing is not kind of like only maybe like 20% of it is 20% of the importance is when you're actually sitting down at your desk and you're like smashing away at the keyboard. The rest of it is collecting experiences, reading books, reading articles, listening to um, podcasts or videos. And from those uh, kind of like cons- when, when you're consuming those, you're not just kind of sitting there and consuming, but you're actively highlighting. You're actively taking those highlights and uh, summarizing them into your own words so they stick to your mind. And you're putting them in a system where it'll likely resurface. Um, so I use this app called Readwise, which um, kind of takes 10 of the highlights that you've had in your uh, time and um, surface them every day. And, and looking through them, you'll come across some cool ideas that you'll be like, oh, Maybe that'll fit in this article I'm writing about, or, oh, that gives me inspiration for, for this new article. And a lot of times now um, with such powerful apps like Rome, you kind of like when I'm writing something, like I, I can easily link to something like mental models, right? And when I click mental models, I'll have a, like 20 or so articles with different highlights, different notes from there, and you can just draw on that. And so now, like when I'm writing my newsletter, when I open up the page, it's like 50% complete, right? Because I've, when I'm reading articles in the week and I think like, oh, this is something I want to add to my newsletter, I'll just tag it like um, newsletter 14. 
newsletter 14 newsletter and when i open it up on today and i get to write before it goes out on sunday like it's basically done uh it's like 50 percent done and the rest is just streamlining it sending it to some people for feedback um obviously adding uh, my original content stuff like that but um that goes the same for articles right you'll have a lot of the statistical research you'll have a lot of the definitions you want to use you have a lot of the examples you want to use historical or current um just based off the the highlights you've made and that's that's been something that's super interesting for me because now you get more time to read in and that reading time before i thought it was just like oh i'm just reading for fun but now it feels uh productive in a sense you're taking notes on the highlights you're making you're thinking oh how can this fit into what I'm interested in. And you're just always doing that. Obviously there's still times like I relax and just watch YouTube for fun. Obviously I'm not like a machine in that sense, but um, it's definitely made it so much easier to produce where I'm not like, Oh, it's so hard to write. I hate writing. It's a lot more kind of like, let's, let's go and, and get this done. Yeah. It's funny you brought that up. My friend Gans, I told you about, he was trying to get me hooked on Rome. Um, you know, I know Nat's really into Rome and it's kind of like this, I think it's like this cool little techie, I don't want to call it a trend because people get a lot of value from it. I've tried to use it, but every time I do, I ran into that same thing you did where it's like, I'm, all, I'm always working all the time. I'm writing all the time and I enjoy my work. I'm not complaining. I love what I do. It's just sometimes I want to chill and read a book and not feel like I need to be like optimizing everything in my life, you know? So I gave it a couple, I gave it a chance. And ultimately I was just like, you know what, man, I still enjoy notebooks and pens. And, uh, and I, I have a habit of that. Don't get me wrong. I write in my notebook every morning and every evening and I keep like an inventory and I keep just ideas and, and it's worked for me, but uh, I think Rome is really, really cool. I think it's a great product. I, I see guys like you using it and gals like you using it. And I think it's dope. I just, I can't get into it, man. <laughs> like, you know, I really tried. Uh, great. Well, let's talk about your work with Jack. I got a lot of respect for Jack and uh, I think he's really on to something. I actually put him um, in the newsletter this morning, by the copy blogger newsletter. It's 200,000 people. And I gave him a little shout like, hey, man, there's going to be some traffic coming your way. But what I highlighted in the newsletter is just that idea of being able to take these abstract visual concepts and putting them very, very simply in a tiny visual. And my website, Copyblogger, is all about uh, copywriting mostly, content writing, but mostly copy, you know, like persuasion writing. Yeah. I've been thinking a lot about this idea about you know, does, if something is a visual, can it still be classified as copy, right? Like you're telling a story, you're given a reason, you're giving your audience a reason why like this idea is something that you want to bring into your life. Um, so with all that being said, why did you decide to reach out to Jack in the first place? Like, what was it about him that, that, uh, that inspired you and what are some of the work that you guys are doing together? Yeah. So I first had Jack on my podcast. That's how I got to know him. Cool. I initially reached out because I thought visualized value was their kind of message of increasing some, someone's mental wealth and allowing people to um, kind of increase uh, their time. 
by productivizing themselves was really, really interesting. And after doing the podcast with him, I think it was it was mutual that we both kind of gained a lot of respect for one another and, and uh, him partially because of, of how young I am in a sense. But then I was in Rite of Passage in class, right? And one of the classes was about uh, how to craft a perfect cold email to uh, get an opportunity for yourself. And I kind of cheated in that I already knew Jack, been DMing him and I had him on the podcast. So it wasn't completely cold, um, but I kind of just reached out and said, hey, I'd, I'd love to uh, work with you and, and help you grow visualized value. Um, I know that you're trying to do a ton of things right now. I know um, Celia, his wife, was helping him, but I thought that maybe um, I could I could do some things that, that could benefit them. And so right now, like you said, he's been busy personally. Um, so we haven't completely gotten off the ground, but some of the things I'm doing for him include uh, doing the community kind of newsletter. Uh, basically, we're trying to do a new format for that where we're highlighting a lot of the interactions within the community, how to, the, some of the work share and the amazing work that, that some of the members do there and uh, revamping that both to the community, but also as something that could be released on Twitter as a tweet thread um, as a way to show people like this is a valuable um workspace that you guys should come and check out another thing is jack does this weekly thing again for the visualized value community that uh, was is called office hours and before it was just jack teaching lessons talking about um different concepts to grow a business grow a product but we realized that quickly after doing 30 of these like not a lot of people have more than 30 hours of, of content themselves, right? So we're, what we're doing is inviting on different guests. And last week, we actually had our first one on where we talk a bit about basically like how, what is this person's central message, central business model, central life model, uh, central idea that they might have. Uh, this week, we had Rohan, who's, who's created multiple uh, million dollar businesses. And we basically talked about how he viewed um, his business model because it was very unique, something different from what a lot of other people um, kind of thought. And it was very informative. And Jack was kind of the host, but he's also using his skills of design to crystallize some of uh, Rohan's central ideas. And that got really, really good feedback because it's people like uh, to understand other people's perspective um, especially someone with as much experience as this. Um, there was a great Q&A session afterwards. And in general, there's just a lot of um, ways we're looking to expand this. And I think that it doesn't just have to be business models. We're thinking about inviting chefs on or entrepreneurs on, um, athletes, architects, anyone with cool ideas and visions and, and things that they just want to distill. Because at the sense of it, at the center of it, like Jack is a very talented designer, but what I look up to him the most about is is how he's able to take these ideas and be like, this is what it is at its core. And that's why it's so easy for him to um, create a simple, simple design. So those are two of the things where we're, we're working on currently. Um, one thing I'm working on by myself um, for Jack, like not as collaborative in a sense, is that I'm helping collect a lot of his best tweets 
and making a database in a sense for that, trying to categorize some of them, his best threads from both Visualize Value and his personal account. I'm currently using a Notion database, organizing some of that, some of those images, um, but it's been very rewarding so far. Um, kind of every time I make some updates with that, um, send it to him for revision and, and doing that. So maybe eventually it'll become kind of like a website that people can search through because Twitter, it's kind of hard to um, mm. search things by category. So that's a cool project I'm just working on as time goes by, but um, looking to expand the relationship as, as we continue and he grows the Visualize Valley brand. All right. So last question, man, you've been very generous with your time and uh, I really appreciate it. If out of all the people that you've talked to so far and the different mental models that you've explored, if you had to really decide on where you're going with this, you know, let's say that something happened, Columbia sent you an email yesterday saying like, Hey man, school is done. We're not doing this anymore. Like you're on your own. <laughs> you know what I mean? Where yeah. would you take it? Like if you had to develop a brand and your your uh, your lifestyle and your well being dependent on it, like what would be your decision right now? Hmm. I think this will kind of. It's funny, right? Because I have the podcast, and a lot of it is recency bias, right? I just spoke to Pomp and. Because of that, I'm really into what he's building and his model, right? Like whoever's the last kind of podcast guest I have um, because of how excited they are about what they're doing themselves and, and the conversation that we have, I'm usually like, whoa, this guy is building something really cool. And so I'm going to give a remix of that where I kind of like what Pomp's model is, right? He has his podcast. He has his Twitter to build his audience. I like those two things. And he has a paid newsletter, right? He writes about finance and things like that. He has a bunch of paid subscribers. Um, I think I want to build a paid newsletter. If you, if you told me today that I can do anything, I'd build a paid newsletter. I talk about mental models and mindful productivity in that paid newsletter. Um, but I continue with the podcast and have the interview podcast just about bringing in really cool guests and, and educating people about um, kind of everything that uh, whatever I'm interested in that week pretty much. <laughs> Um, and I think that I would also, um, basically take some of the lessons from Jack, right. And look to productivize myself, right. Build a course, um, uh, kind of on the lessons that I've, I've learned in these short three months about kind of the, the different mental models and how you can apply them to your life. Um, that's if, uh, Columbia canceled today, I, I'm not sure I would do that. Um, just in my free time now, just because I feel like I have a lot more to to learn and grow in. But yeah, that'd be my answer. I think you should go for it. Personally, I'm a very entrepreneurial type. You know, I've like never, I didn't go to school. I've never really had a job. I've always just built my own businesses. So I'm biased in that way where I, I think about and I'm not trying to influence you by any means, but like I think about spending money on college and getting a job and I'm like, why? Like you could just do it on your own. So I think you should just go for it. And also, um, you know, paid newsletters I'm really interested in. We talk about paid newsletters a lot on Copyblogger because one of the benefits from it is that 
a lot of content creators, especially writers, don't feel comfortable building products. They're two completely different things. You know, just because you can write doesn't necessarily mean that that skill is going to translate into building a product that's worth money. So I think a paid newsletter is a really good option for people who like want their content itself to be the product, right? And and I think that's a cool way to do it. Like you use the podcast, you use like a little bit of free written content to basically promote the paid membership for it. So, um, so if my opinion matters to you, which it shouldn't, but if it does, my vote is that you should just do it. You should just start now because you're only going to go up from here. And like a year from now, you'd be like, damn, if I would have started today, I would have been so much further along. So that's my vote, man. You should go for it. Yeah. I think it's just that I have the idea of where I want to build the newsletter and it kind of coincides with what I'm doing. Um, I think I want to test it at least like I want to test run it at school for one year because the content is so overlapping in that sense and in in that direction. But yeah, definitely take that advice and and think about what to build and, and how to product myself. Well, you got a lot to offer, man. I'll definitely be following along with you. I'm a fan of what you're doing. Um, you. you inspire me for what it's worth. I, I've always been... You One thing I'll end on this that I think people can learn from you is just getting out of your own way with just hit and publish, right? Because the thing that cripples people is, I don't want to put this out there. What are they going to think of me? You know, or like, what about this idea? Does this suck? Does this sound stupid? And like, you've been very courageous with your... Uh, willingness to just put yourself out there. So I think there's a lot of people can learn from you. So um, yeah, brother, thank you so much for your time. Where can people find you? Um, they can find me on Twitter and I can send you a link to link in the description. And the podcast is on my website, um, just my name, brandonjohn.com and also a YouTube channel that is very much in the works right now, but there'll be a lot more content coming on there in the coming weeks. Beautiful. I will definitely have all that linked up in the show notes of my website and also the show notes of the podcast. Brandon, one more time. Thank you so much for your time. I'm a fan of your work. I hope we can do this again. Thank you so much, man. All right, brother. Hey guys, it's me. It's Tim. One last time before we wrap up, just wanted to say thank you for tuning into the podcast. Please subscribe on iTunes. Please leave me an honest rating. Please follow me on Spotify. It's the best thing you can do to support the show. If you want to find out more, go to timstods.com. Feel free to fill out the contact form to reach out to me personally. I always respond. I appreciate you guys so much. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one.